Hey, I'm Daniel Jose Older, one of the lead story architects of Star Wars, The High Republic, and you are listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. Hello there. A Utini Podcast Network production. General Kenobi. Episode 154, Midnight Horizon Roundtable, Part 1. We've been waiting for you. On this episode, the winner of the High Republic draft. That's good news. Buy low, sell high Republic with Star Wars financial investment news. My trick's gonna work, gonna make only money. You can't stop it. You can only hope to contain Charles Hankel's excitement over the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. Stay hidden. And the Utini crew talks about the new High Republic novel, Midnight Horizon by Daniel Jose Older. Scrabble code vibes, cars, pair the old folks and now, here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Arlison, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! Hello, everyone! Welcome to the Living Force Utini Network podcast, all about Midnight Horizon. For the next two weeks, at least, I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight on another lovely Utini roundtable is the full crew, starting off with Dr. With Corey, with Helton! All Hello! Three. Hello, everyone. Good to be here, as always, in this fortress by which we stand. I don't know where I was going with that. No, welcome. Yeah, go, keep going. Welcome. Great. Welcome You're to great. another show, another roundtable. <laughs> How many roundtables is this, you think? 30? Oh, 154. 40? <laughs> That's a lot of, we've done a lot of damn roundtables. A sure. lot. <clears throat> There's been a lot of books, but I know that none of them would have happened without Dr. Charles Hankel, who finally returns to us this week. I'm back, baby. I didn't. I didn't get fired. I know y'all were talking in the Discord. I didn't die. I was just busy. Okay, but I'm back. See, Emma and Jared really did a great job. We did think about really kicking you off, but then that would have made someone very sad. And I cannot, in my life, ever bear to disappoint Wes Jenkins. Hello, everyone. Charles, you'd never be fired because nobody else wants to do the roundtable prompts. <laughs> there we're it here is. Forever. That is correct. We're here forever, and we're going to be here and reading your plot synopsis and talking about your characters. That's <laughs> right. Uh, everyone, if you have not watched a Living Force roundtable before, that's fine. Welcome to the first one. Later on in the show, we're going to go all into Midnight Horizon. But before then, a couple things. First of all, I want to say hello and happy Monday evening to our YouTube video audience. Hello, hope you're all doing great. Hope some of you are washing dishes. I know we got a big dishwashing contingent, so I want to make sure that you're doing well. Uh, if you're listening to us later on audio or watching us later on a video, hi, hope you had a good week. Go ahead, like that video, leave star ratings and podcast catchers. You know how this all goes. Help grow the community of the living force and all that jazz. We want to make a quick announcement, because last week, as many of you may know, we did a High Republic draft episode. We were missing Wes, we were missing Charles, but we did have me and Corey and Emma, and I'm going to do a thing that I usually like doing right now, which is reveal the winner of last week's draft episode. I'm not going to like it, though, this week. Spoiler alert. Uh, before like we do, though, Corey, I want to give you the honor of reading out the teams from last week. Wes, we have a graphic that our very lovely Steven made. That we threw I mean, it's Twitter. my team. I'm, 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 I'm there. There I am right there. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> with our teams. Yep. I have a uh, – all right, let's talk about this really fast. Last week we did a uh, High Republic draft. It was uh, – you know, usually I'm like, yeah, sports, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, this week I, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, let's talk about the <laughs> – let's talk about the teams that we had and, uh, you know – 
I feel like I won like 24 Super Bowls in a row with this. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> we each picked we each picked two masters, two Jedi Knights slash Padawans, kind of in the same category, a non-Jedi and a villain. And all right, I th- my my team was uh was pretty stacked. I'm going to read it last actually. Uh Eric, <laughs> Eric, your team was pretty interesting. Loading Great Storm and Cantum Sai were your two masters. Keeve Trennis and Lula Talasola were your two Jedi. And then Ty York was your non-Jedi. Mark Rowe was your villain. Emma also had a pretty interesting team. Buckets of Blood and Stellan Geos were two masters. Vernesta Rowe and Orla Gerenia were her two Jedi. Zine Morala uh, was her non-Jedi. And Lorna D was her villain. Now, my team, the superior team, <laughs> was uh, pretty incredible, if I do say so myself. Two oh, Jedi God. masters. I regret this. Avar Chris, Elzar Man, the two Jedi, Bell Zedifar, and Buryaga. My non-Jedi was Geode. My villain was Mr. Bronchitis himself, Pan Ada. That's right. And- Mr. Uh, parentheses. <laughs> was this, Corey, was this your first draft win? <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have not revealed. Uh, Wait a minute. Voting. Did he even win? I hold assume. He- I assume he won. Look at that let's, list. I mean, I got- I'm not trying to toot his horn, but. <laughs> well, I let's mean- say it was. It was very. At, I have the numbers here right in front of me. It was very, very, very close for oh, second no. and third. Okay, no. <laughs> it wasn't um, close at all. Wasn't so close at all. Listen, I won a damn draft. All right, it was, I'm, I'm, you did. I won a draft. I've never won a draft. We've done like what six of these or something like in the last four years. Some I've never won a draft. Probably. Not even. Not even. Close. You won, Corey. I will say. So I, I got. I got third. With 16.7% of the vote. Emma got second with 18.8. Corey won this draft with 64.6% of the mm. vote, which is the highest wow. margin we've ever had. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tom Brady unretired this week <laughs> and Corey won his first draft. I think that those are connected. Congratulations. It never speaks. You know, if you add up if you add up that margin, I wonder if I won all the drafts, actually. Let's okay, guys, I, uh, just wait for this next draft episode, I'm going to go, like, Goodwill Hunting, Moneyball-esque. Like, I'm going to be doing the, the statisticians. No passion anymore. My only my only drive from now on is to beat Corey in every draft. i do SEO research. Corey, we have Corey wins episode. one draft, and he forgets how math works. He's over here like, so did I win all of the drafts? <laughs> Retroactively? Well, thank you for everyone that voted. Uh, stay tuned. We have a couple more throughout the year that we'll be doing. Lots of fun. And again, thank you to Emma for hanging out last week and making a great team. And to Jared the week before for our standalone novel episode, which, if you missed, you can check out our YouTube channel right now. Jacob, uh, over on the Cosmic Force and in the chat now, edited together a 12-minute video of that episode. The thing we're doing now, we're, we're going to be converting a lot of our short-form, con- long-form content into short-form content. So if you maybe don't have time for a full episode, but you still want that sweet, sweet living force taste in like 10, 15 minutes, we did that. There's a 12-minute version of our favorite standalone novels from a couple weeks ago. Go check that out and let us know if you want to see more of that kind of stuff because we really love making it. We should, we, you know, this is actually a good chance to plug that really fast. Um, you know, if you are a longtime listener of the show, maybe you watch the videos on YouTube, you should actually know about this. We're changing some of our strategy in regards to YouTube and um, and, some, and some of those things as far as like getting videos out there and that sort of thing. So if you watch our content on YouTube and, and you enjoy watching it on YouTube, don't freak out because our videos are going to kind of disappear going forward. It's going to be, but they're not gone. They're still on YouTube. You just yeah. have to find the playlist, the Living Force playlist. So if you want to watch 
the full video podcast on YouTube in the future, find it by going to our YouTube channel and finding the Leading Force playlist. That's where it will be. But if you go to the Uploads tab, it's going to look like they're not there. We're trying some different strategies, trying to get our, our YouTube numbers up and that sort of thing. Um, because we produce a lot of really great content, but we're not getting the numbers that we want. So, you know, we, we're going to try some new strategies, like by cutting down some of our videos, right? So our, our channel is not just saturated with, you know, these hour and a half long episodes. So don't fear, yeah. just check the playlist. We're putting yes. Wes in more thumbnails, right? That's, That's right. That's another part of the strategy. <laughs> if you want Wes in all thumbnails, I don't know, comment. We'll do anything for money. <laughs> I also want to say uh, a quick thing. Uh, I want to give an homage right now. To our friends at Legends Look Back, uh, who every week they do a lovely thing called Thracken's Thrift Store, where they talk about the acquisitions that they've made. And I have a semi-ish Thracken's Thrift Store thing this week. Not a thing I got this week, but a thing I finally did. Hold on a second. Eh. Here it is. I built my Lego Tanta V4, everybody! Holy uh, smokes. You Look did at it. it. This took me seven straight hours. Oh. And I took oh last Friday, because I'm starting haven't a new you, job on Wednesday. Haven't you had this Look thing this. for like like a year or something? A year and a half. Yes, I got it. But I was working jobs, and I wasn't unemployed enough. But now I was. So <laughs> I took a Friday. I built the whole thing. Way it was go, one Corey. of the most relaxing days I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm really proud of it. And I love it a lot. I just wanted to show it off because it is It's freaking amazing. huge. It hold it up. <laughs> hold it up to your side. Let me see how big it is in front of your face. Oh, my God. It's, <laughs> you got to find, you, you find some cool way to display it. That, that is one of my favorite Lego sets for some reason. Maybe it's because I'm a sucker for the... Yeah. Oh, hang it. I want you to hang it from the wall mm-hmm. on fishing line, and then one day fishing line just breaks from the ceiling. Oh no, no, no! Crashes no. to I, the floor. I'm a, I'm a step ahead of you, dude. I went on Etsy at the behest of our very own Jacob and found. Assembled it. <laughs> I would never. There was over it's, like the, it's, like, it's like the villain in the Lego movie puzzle. It's the villain in the Lego movie. Glue all the Legos together. I will say, I did buy an Etsy specific stand for this lego set that you can drill into the wall so okay. i'm gonna put it behind me uh but most importantly i did want to show off why i got the lego set that was my next question i don't like his mustache <laughs> look at that look at that cape the cape came in a separate box um anyway yeah, he's in the middle of it having a conference with leia but yeah that was that was just a great time. If you haven't built Star Wars Legos before and you have the financial means and time to do so, I highly recommend it because it's ridiculously fun. And I hope this isn't the beginning of a new hobby because I live in a one-bedroom apartment. You want to know an anyway. interesting fact that I know about <laughs> yeah. Legos? This is kind of interesting. Do you know that uh, on average over the last like 25 years, Legos have a – like in-box Legos, like if you don't take them out of the box, they've appreciated at a greater value than the S&P 500. <laughs> <laughs> really? So, technically, technically, buying Legos and keeping them in the box is a better investment than investing in the stock market. You know, heard it here first. <clears throat> well, tell, Corey has awakened something in me. <laughs> <laughs> Wes, wake up! Back to Star Wars. Back to Star Wars. <laughs> I think I think we should have an episode about mutual funds versus ETF. Should we discuss that next? <laughs> All right. We want to say thank you to our okay, Patreon man. community. Who? God, don't leave! Don't leave! Don't leave! Don't leave! Uh, we want to say we do want to say a quick thank you to our Patreon community who are. Way more consistent than the stock market, I will say. Uh, because we want to thank Austin Vanderlyn, who just became a new monthly patron. Thank you. Welcome to the UTN Patreon community. We hope you are enjoying so many things over on there, including all of our podcasts when they release, all of our extra shows, all of our extra commentaries, extra contents, all that good stuff. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm starting a new job this week, but I should know my schedule soon, so we'll be scheduling our Revenge of the Sith 
commentary. Uh, we've had a couple comments on Rogue One the last couple weeks that you guys really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I did watch Revenge of the Sith while I was building my Lego, so I am primed to remember that movie is freaking awesome. And I can't wait to watch it with you guys. However, I can't wait to watch something else a little bit more. One thing this week. One thing. <laughs> Very important. We already made a video on it, but y'all, I don't blame you if you don't watch all the videos on our YouTube channel. That's fine. You live your own life. We got, last week, right after the show, the first teaser trailer for k k k Kenobi. Uh, Charles, can you briefly recap how we felt about it last week? <laughs> Screaming, shaking, <laughs> crying, collapsing, embracing. I think those are the, that was, in that order is kind of how we reacted. Uh, mm -hmm. We loved it, right? We loved it. I think the hype train has officially taken off. Um, That's correct. We are, we are yep. trying to manage our <laughs> expectations, but I think we all think that this is probably going to be one of the greatest things of all time. And yep. uh, that that sums it up, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. We we've rarely seen Star Wars Internet so united. It's very lovely when that happens. It looked incredible. We also did pull a couple pictures from the Entertainment Weekly spread that happened. Um, if you haven't seen them yet, bless you for watching our show. But uh, you obviously may have seen you and McGregor gracing the, I believe, Man. last print cover of Entertainment Weekly as well. Wow. Um, that is a high-def picture of yeah, you and McGregor. Ooh, yeah, look at is. the beard. <laughs> we just like it. Like, also, yeah, yeah, all of it is just glorious. A very stern look. And also, like, like uh, 20 years, a little more than 20 years from when he graced it for Phantom Menace. Like, it's really yeah. kind of a cool legacy here. But Man, of course, you guys, I'm afraid that's another. Have you guys seen? I'm afraid that, uh, it's another $200. I'm going to lose at celebration oh, just because of that picture. There. Oh yeah, 100. Have you guys seen that picture of like, of like young Ewan McGregor, then this age Ewan McGregor, and then like, uh, uh, Sir. Oh shoot, Alec Guinness. Guinness. Uh, Sir Alec Guinness in in. Uh -huh. Yeah, have you seen that? Like where it shows them it's all together. Awesome. It's like uh -uh. their ages. And, oh yeah, the the picture. I think I shared it in Slack actually. It's it's there. It's it shows Ewan and then Alec Guinness. Then it shows. Um, I forget what the actor Joel played. Edgerton. Yes, he played Owen Lars, For young Owen, Owen Lars. Lars, and then old Owen Lars, and like the ages, man, they nailed it. It looks yeah. so good. Like, like the, it looks like this is the age they're supposed to be. It's really perfect. Like, I don't know. We yeah. talked about this. We did a short little, uh, a short little video. If you guys haven't seen that, it's on our YouTube channel. Uh, we did a short little video, kind of walking through how like, stoked we are about Obi Wan because we're talking about you know this book this week. Oh yeah, there you go. There's that picture. There it is. Oh. Yeah, look at that. <clears throat> it's perfect, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Really I mean, that we, we is so on point. We did this short video talking about, uh, you know, how we're, we're super stoked for Obi-Wan and everything. And, uh, you know, we, we, we sort of finished it with the idea that, like, it is an utter miracle that this occurred the way that it occurred in the timeline that it occurred. Like, it's just mm -hmm. all, the, all the variables had to fall perfectly in a place. Like, we have won the lottery as Star Wars fans <laughs> to get this thing. And I'm so utterly mm -hmm. stoked for this. This is going to be super fun. I cannot wait. And it's the week of celebration. That's when the first episode comes out. And a lot of us are going to oh be in the God. same city when that happens. Too. Well, so some of us are going to be in the same house when it drops. That I mean, correct. the night of. So, uh, Did we have any idea that this trailer was coming? Last Wednesday? Not on the day. Uh, People have been waiting for okay. it for forever. And, like, I mean, you know the Star Wars community. We're famously patient for things that we like, <laughs> um, especially for trailers. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I love how they dropped it just kind of out of nowhere. I mean, we're also Me not super I love that. But I loved it. And, obviously, all the new characters that we saw. Um, like, we got way more Inquisitors than we ever thought we would. Um, it's very soon, like, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's coming in two months. We got Obi-Wan here with Geode, right? Uh, was his picture here? <laughs> God, I was that together. I was gonna. I was gonna say, is that wall real? Is this? Is this a homage to the rock that they put R two D two behind in Episode four? Like, oh my God, I forgot rock. about that. No, nah, he's looking with intensity there. I love that again. Just crisp looks. Him with his little Aopi buddy. Oh, the Aopi from Legends, dude. Like, yeah, there's man. a lot of Kenobi looks in this. Jared is so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And Owen Lars going toe-to-toe with uh, Reva, the Inquisitor. And I love Owen Lars being kind of a badass. Like, I was not something I ever thought to expect. But, I mean, the dude raised Luke Skywalker, essentially. Yeah, it looks like he got some confidence to him. Yeah, I really like it. And how lucky are they that Joel Edgerton became, like, a pretty freaking good, like, Shakespearean-trained actor. And was like, yeah, I'll come back and do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that. Oh. Uh I, I gotta admit, when I first saw this picture of Reva, who I believe is on the new planet Dayu in this picture, I'm like, one, she's gonna be incredible, and I, I can't wait to see her in action. But two, I think the cosplay community is gonna go wild with this with this character. Oh yeah. I mean, her hair is awesome, her outfit is awesome, just everything about the stature. I'm a I'm a huge freaking fan. The entire EW spread is phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, and obviously, what is this about Vader? Yeah. Darth oh, Vader. Vader. That's Hayden he's Christensen coming. inside that suit. That's, That's Hayden who Christensen it is. In the suit. That's Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I want to throw up right now. Oh my god. <laughs> he's coming back, man. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. I. And then, oh. this is the my favorite of these pictures that you put together. Do it. Right here. This. Oh, it's the strength in the like. The, st- oh. the straightness of that posture. <laughs> it, it's just it's it's scary enough to watch, and everybody in the background is just like. You know it's an 8K camera they're filming this with. <laughs> they're like, yeah. <laughs> and Deborah Chow, like you can tell the way she's filming, like the shots are composed so well. Like this show looks good so far, and I can't wait to see all these things in in motion. Obviously, can't wait to devour everyone. We'll be doing bounty hunts on them. We'll be doing coverage. But if you want our full full look, including a trailer we watch, check out the video. And of course, in two months, watch it with us. But until Kenobi, you got plenty of stuff to read, don't you know? That's what we're about. Tomorrow, March 15th, my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. The High Republic Tempest Runner script book comes out. And on April 5th, Queen's Hope comes out, rounding out the Queen's trilogy. And also on April 5th, Wave 3 of the Essential Legends collection comes out, including Kenobi. You know you need that on your shelf. You got time to reread that. Head over to utini.com on the release schedule to get all those pre-orders in for all the new books. It's roundtable time, everyone. Charles. It's about drive. It's about power. It's about horror. We devour. (laughs) Charles, we vamped you up. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. You can't start that and cut to anyone but The Rock, so I'm a severe disappointment right now. Um, Yeah, Geo, The Rock. Yes, but we are going to jump right into the plot synopsis for Daniel Jose Older's Midnight Horizon because we got a lot to get through, as we always do, and we've only got two parts to do it. So, without further ado, the plot synopsis, which... I will tell you, is in chronological order, not in the order it was presented in the book. Here we go. The Padawan of Master Yoda, young Cantum Sai, must shoulder high expectations. Yet, on a routine visit to the planet Endivar, Cantum meets a circus performer named Atar and feels an instant connection. The two spend a night flirting, and Cantum realizes that despite being so far ahead of their peers, Yoda has not yet knighted them because he sensed something like this might happen. Cantum and Atar's connection soon blossoms into a true relationship, and Cantum knows they must inform Yoda. 
After one last sparring session, Cantum lays their lightsaber at Yoda's feet and walks away from the Jedi Order. However, Atar struggles to accept the pressure of that decision and breaks things off. Now without any ties, Cantum spends the next few years traveling the galaxy, working various jobs. While on Naboo, they discover a young, force-sensitive orphan, none other than Lula Talisola. Feeling called back to the Order, Cantum delivers Lula to Yoda on Endivar. Upon their return, Cantum is knighted and Yoda lectures them on a master's role of learning from their Padawan. Years later, on the planet Corellia, a Grindelid bodyguard named Prybolt is troubled when his client, Nomar Traumat, hasn't returned from a meeting. Against instructions, he interrupts the meeting and finds his client being beaten by a group of Nile. The Nile kill Prybolt, though not before he can send a hollow reporting his findings, and the client disappears. On Starlight Beacon, Ram Jamaram struggles with a sense of emptiness brought on by all the horrors he's had to witness at the hands of the Nile. Before he can contemplate this too much, he's whisked away to a, meeting, or to a mission briefing by Lula Talisola and Zine Marala. At the meeting, the Jedi are shown the hollow of Prybolt's death and asked by Coronet City's Minister Fenderfall to come investigate. Cantum Sai, Zine, and Ram all agree to go. Wreath Silas's life is nothing like he expected. Rather than a studious Jedi academic buried in the archives on Coruscant, he's made a new home out on the frontier, fighting alongside the other Jedi of Starlight Beacon. Despite being confident in what brought him there, he cannot see a clear path moving forward. Though he needs guidance, he can't bring himself to confide in his master, Comac Vitus, who also seems troubled. Fortunately, they're both offered a distraction when they're asked to join the mission to Corellia. Alice Crash Angua and her crew from Supreme Coronet City Diplomat Protection are still reeling from the loss of their agent, Prybolt. To regain their reputation in the public eye, they thwart a staged attack against a local pop star and friend of Crash named Sfino. Shortly thereafter, Crash is visited by Mother Fastidima, the head of the Grindelid clan of which Prybolt was a member, and is told she has three days to find Prybolt's killer or else she will pay the price herself. Wreath stumbles upon Comac tearfully communicating with the Jedi Wayseeker Orla Jereni. Comac reveals that he has been struggling with an intense sadness, the source of which is unclear, and Orla has been help- helping him meditate on it. Wreath decides he cannot further burden his master by bringing up his own uncertainties. Zine and Lula meditate together, unsure about their next steps. Zine is to go to Corellia, though she yearns to remain with Lula, who has been tapped to lead who has been tapped to lead the task force in charge of finding Cricks, Zine's ex-childhood friend turned Nile. As everyone prepares to leave, intelligence comes through revealing the location of Crix's hideout. Zine goes with Lula to join the assault on Crix's base. The remainder of the Jedi head to Corellia. On Gus Talon, one of Corellia's moons, a labor dispute is broken out and turned violent. A Nile agent named Sabata Krill is in charge of ensuring the dispute pulls as many of the Jedi and law enforcement officers from Corellia as possible. Crash arrives at the Coruscant, Cor- Coronet City Jedi Temple and meets Ram and Wreath, who she immediately employs to help with her investigation. As a show of good faith, she sneaks them into the local shipyards to see the construction of the Republic's new Pergil-class cruisers, the exact model of the Halcyon and introduces them to Shug Drabor, the architect behind the ships. While there, they also inspect a mysterious ancient fighter called an Eviscerator. That evening, a meeting is held by the upper crust of Coronet, of Coronet City, including the City Fathers, the recognized leaders of the most important operations within the city. 
and Minister Finderfall. Crash's crew is also there acting as bodyguards for some of the attendees. Crash attempts to get the patrons drunk so that someone may let slip some information about what happened to Prybolt. Another rival bodyguard, Discaro, reveals that his firm has taken over security duties for the upcoming finance ball. Distraught, Crash punches Ovis, one of the city fathers, when he makes an inappropriate joke about Prybolt's death. A massive fight breaks out. Elsewhere, Zine, Lula, Quart, and Farzala lay siege to Crix's stronghold and manage to capture him. Despite this victory, Zine struggles with the thought of something bad happening to her friends. She reflects on growing up and trying to suppress her force abilities before finally confronting Crix in the brig. She's able to trick him into revealing that something important is going to happen on Gus Talon. Armed with this new information, she heads to Corellia to assist. But just before leaving, she is finally able to put a name to her feelings toward Lula. Love. She departs the ship, leaving Lula to transport Crix back to Starlight Beacon. After the fallout of assaulting a city father and losing out on a contract to Descaro, Crash has to find a new way to get her crew into the finance ball. She decides to create an irresistible new entertainment act. Having grown to trust the Jedi, Crash reveals the full video of Prybolt's death, which shows Sabata, Krill, which shows Sabata Krill following, following him down the alley. The Jedi began to realize the extent of the Nile's involvement on Corellia. They agree to Crash's plan and offer up the newly arrived Zine to pose as a fake pop star by the name of Ms. Z. Crash is able to use her media contacts to spread the word about Ms. Z and get her hired overnight. Cantum and Comac are alerted to a potential hostage situation by Minister Fenderfall and leave immediately to investigate. Once there, they both sense a terrible disturbance in the force and realize it has something to do with Starlight Beacon. They discover the Nile amassing force at a local police barracks and manage to stow away aboard one of their transports as it heads off to wreak unknown havoc. Cantum grows worried as he sees Comac as he senses Comac becoming more and more unbalanced. Crash and her crew make final preparations at the site of the finance ball, but they're stunned when the organizer reveals that the party is a Nile-themed masquerade ball. Suddenly, as the doors open, masses of people sporting Nile masks flood the event space. In the midst of the party, whispers begin to spread about something happening to Starlight Beacon. The hollow news is pulled up and shows Starlight burning. The Jedi struggle to maintain balance as they watch their home destroyed. Crash and Descaro meet in private and realize that one of their clients must be working with an I.O., Descaro is alerted that Ovis requires the room for a meeting. Crash hides before Ovis arrives. He's joined shortly by another being who emerges from a hidden door. The two argue over the Nile activity on Corellia, with Ovis claiming he only agreed to small Nile strikes and the other man claiming responsibility for getting Ovis his position as the city father. The mysterious figure storms out to the main party, addresses the crowd, and removes his mask to reveal he's actually no more trail mat. He praises the Nihil and urges other to, others to align with him. When Ovis speaks out against him, Traumat pulls a blaster and fires at him, but Descara dies in front of Ovis, taking the blaster bolts instead, and he dies instantly. Chaos erupts at the ball. Nihil reveal themselves and hurry to get Traumat out. They escape through a window and flee across the rooftops. Wreath, Ram, and Zine give chase. They follow the Nihil all the way to the finance tower, where they then witness a gigantic Nihil troop transport pre- preparing to take off. Wreath barely manages to get on board before it sails into the night. Crash is sickened by the fact that she has been protecting people who were involved in so much evil. 
She dis- dissolves her company on the spot, denouncing her duties as a bodyguard and hurries off to pursue Traumat. She meets up with Zine, and they follow a group of Nio into the underground tunnels. On the way, Crash pulls out a distress call on all comm channels about the Nio invasion and requests anyone on Corellia come fight and to assist. The Nile transport with Cantum and Comac aboard arrives at the Corellian shipyards and lands. Cantum realizes the Nile don't want to destroy the ships, but rather commandeer them and fly them to Starlight Beacon disguised as Republic aid. Ram also arrives at the shipyards and alerts Shug Drebor to the Nile's plans. Drebor and his crew of Enzelans start dismantling the flight controls of the ships as quickly as they can. The Nile and the Corellians all converge on the ships and a massive battle ensues. Comac and Cantum emerge from hiding and carve a path to the Nile force. As they're about to be overwhelmed, Aretha leaps from his Nile transport and lands on the battlefield to join them. All right, Battle of Corellia, let's do it. Grindelids ambush Crash in the tunnels. She informs them that she has almost caught Prybolt's killer and suspects it was Traumat. The Grindelids agree to help by allowing Crash and Zed to ride on their backs through the water to catch up to the Nile. The Jedi and Corellians valiantly defend the ships but are greatly outnumbered. Wreath is seriously injured and nearly killed, but just as he is overrun, Shug Draber appears in a mechanized load lifter to save him. Ram arrives and helps Wreath onto a ship where he hides him in a cargo hold, he's not luggage, with some back-to-packs. As the Republic forces dwindle, Cantum orders the ships be destroyed rather than let the Nile have them. The Corellians gather at Cantum and Comac's location. Despite their efforts, they suddenly hear a ship taking off and realize they're too late. Ram hurries to the eviscerator and takes off after the stolen longbeam. He's able to destroy the longbeam's hyperspace engine, but in the time it takes, one of the Pergil cruisers also takes off. Wreath wakes up in the cargo hold and can feel the ship underneath him moving. He stumbles to the bridge and finds Sabata Krill and a group of Nile. He realizes that he's aboard the stolen Pergil cruiser. Ram calms him and tells him to leave the ship immediately. Ram then bursts through the cruiser and the eviscerator just as Wreath jettisons himself out of an airlock. Ram rescues Wreath from his freefall and they both return to the planet's surface. Crash finally catches up the trial mat in the tunnels. He admits to working with the Nile, which led to Prybolt's death. As soon as he does, Mother Festidima rises from the depths and bites his head off. Her children attack and rip up the rest of the traitor's body. Cantum, Comac, and the Corellian defenders make a final push against the Nile, knowing they're likely to die. When yet another ship takes off, Cantum grabs it with the force. Despite their best efforts, it's about to slip away until it suddenly becomes weightless. Searching for the source of their newfound power, they spy a hooded master Yoda emerging from the Nile war cloud. Yoda rips the ship out of the sky and launches an offensive against the Nile, single-handedly turning the tide of the battle. The Nile scatter. With Corellia safe for the time being, everyone gathers at Crash's childhood home. The Jedi all sense the exact moment of Starlight's destruction and all of the death that comes along with it. Despite that galaxy-shifting incident, there is still room for celebration as Wreath is officially knighted. But immediately afterwards, Comac announces that he is leaving the Jedi Order. Zine vows to find Lula, even though she is among those who were aboard Starlight listed as missing and presumed dead. Crash and her crew announce their intent to stay on Corellia and fight against Ovis, who is trying to consolidate power in the wake of the Nile's exodus, and Yoda orders all Jedi to return to Coruscant to regroup. He claims to have found evidence of a new threat to the entire galaxy, a threat that may prove to be the end of the Jedi. And there's clues in the past. Phase two. (laughs) I added that. Charles didn't write that, but Charles, you did it again. Well written, dude. Well done. Thank you. I hope that everyone's caught up. Maybe anyone that didn't finish this 500-page gargantuan 
YA novel, but now we're we're all on the same page. <laughs> I'm gonna stop reading it and just wait and come to the round table. <laughs> just <wait. laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. Uh, who who needs educated opinions anymore? Perfect. Right? Um, <laughs> right. That is correct. This is the internet, baby. That's not what we do. <laughs> so let's go ahead on that note and go around in a circle. Rate this book on a one to ten, and give me any initial thoughts on why you rate the book the way that you do. I would like to start with. Eric this time. All right. Um, I'm going to start us off. I'm going to guess I might start us off with the highest score of the night. Uh, I freaking love this book. I'm giving it a 9.7 easily. Woo! This high. is my it's favorite YA novel in the higher public <laughs> by a long shot. It's one of my favorite Your favorite YA novel you said? My favorite YA novel. Oh, favorite, in the higher favorite public. YA. Okay. All right. Um, I think this is. The kind of epitome of what DJO has been trying to write his entire time with the higher public adventures leading into this all being like one project. <clears throat> I loved the characters. I think I will say my hottest take is the Battle of Corellia. I think is the best written battle I've ever read in Star Wars of anything as mm. a battle sequence. Has some of those badass moments like when Comac cut off a guy's hand as it was holding a grenade and then shoved mm-hmm. him into a tank. Like Kantem Sai pulling the Starkiller, pulling the ship out and then... I mean, the, the Yoda moment is one of the coolest reveals that has been literally building since the High Republic was announced. Of like, where is yeah. he? What's he doing? I agree. Walking with that. through the battle, like, yeah. just the epicness of all that mixed with, I mean, the love story of Cantum in the past, and also Lula and Zine's love story coming together. Like, young kids figuring out who they are, which is a staple of YA. Just all of it seems to be exactly what DJL wants to write. Um, and I think as we're going to talk about, some people are going to be super into that. Other people aren't as much into his prose. I'm excited to talk about it. But yeah, this book freaking did it for me. 9.7. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it that much. That's it, man. Um, Wes, how about you? I thought this book was super fun to read. It wasn't too difficult where I, when I started, I, I primarily did audiobook, where I started where I had to go back and and like listen to the previous five minutes to remember where I was because DJO made it very he made it easy for you to to put you in the scene of whether you were on Coronet City because in the beginning of each chapter he he states you are in Coronet City and I was like ah, awesome thank you for that um, but uh, I mean it took me it took me a little while to get into it and I think like the main plot. Um, it was, it's toward the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there was a, a couple other things that had happened before, but I loved how he, he, uh, incorporated the Grendelids and I learned about a whole bunch of new characters that I've never like that I haven't read before. Cause I haven't read uh, a lot of the comics. Um, so all in all, I will give this book an 8.6 so far, mm. so far, That's change my, change, yeah. change my mind. 8. You're 6. also a pretty big Proxima head, Wes. I know you're a lady Proxima stan. So, uh, yeah, she has beautiful jewelry. <laughs> uh, all right, Corey, what do you think? Listen, I originally I have two things, two big things I want to say about this book. The first one is that the first time we ever got to read anything by Daniel Jose Older was with Last Shot, the the uh, mm-hmm. Han Solo book, which has a special place in my heart, which because it was one of the first major books that we put in Utini book boxes back in the day. It came with two covers. I like flipped like half the covers around, so some people got orange books, some people got yellow books. Like it was oh, a lot I of fun. Didn't know that? Like, yeah, I did that a long long time ago. So you know, and you know that. that 
that book one. that book got a lot of criticism i think for this sort of flashback format because like it was a little hard to follow at times and he figured that out in this book and the flashbacks were completely beautiful i mean i loved the way that it felt like we were telling a story within a story every time they showed up like the writing style and daniel jose older is an absolute gem right like I, like he figured out exactly what to do to be able to tell a, a flashback in a way that is not distracting or confusing at all and like i the only thing i have to say about that is i hope that any criticism that anybody had to say maybe even us included back in the day like didn't hurt his feelings i hope he took that into a way that was like constructive because like holy smokes the flashbacks in this book were some of the most beautiful well-written flashbacks i've ever seen in a star wars novel and that was I, I immediately noticed that because of his last his last book. Right. The second thing I want to say is that I originally wanted to give this book a really low score because uh, I was about 30% of the way through the book, and you guys remember me complaining about it to you guys. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't understand what's happening at all. I don't know any of these characters. I can't figure any of it out. But I think by the like the 40% mark or the halfway mark – like, it doesn't matter that you haven't read all the comics. It doesn't matter that you don't know all these characters. You've learned everything you need to know about the the attitudes, the morality, the ideology of all these characters. You know everything you need to know about all the characters in the comics by the halfway point in the book, and it's not a problem anymore. So the fact that, that DJO was able to do that, be able to kind of repeat some of that, because that has been criticism we've had before about some of the High Republic stuff, is that if you don't read the comics, you're missing out. And I feel like... I feel like we, this showed us, this book showed us that it doesn't have to be a problem that the Kai Republic is stretched across lots of mediums, right? So I think, I think originally I was going to give it a lower score, but I think now by the end of the book, I really love the book. I love the ending scene, the ending scene of, of, you know, spoiler alert, we say at the top of the show, the ending scene of Wreath being appointed to a Jedi Knight is one of the most beautiful audio productions that I've ever heard in anything. And we need to pull it for next week, Mm -hmm. Wes. Let's try to remember to do it. I want to play that on the show next week. It's like, it is, it is, I was moved to tears. And one of the first times I've ever moved to tears listening to anything Star Wars. And that scene really, really hit me hard. I sat in my driveway and then I rewinded it by the last 10 minutes and listened to it again. It was so beautiful. Um, I love this book. I thought it was really, really fun. Um, it shocked me that it loved me as much that I loved it as much as I did. And I'm going to give this book a, a 9.0. Wow. Wow. Um, I would say it loved you as well, Corey. I know I was going to say, no, this book loved you too. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It was a roller was... coaster though, man. Like, like yeah. I, I've yeah. never, I've That's never a had lot. such a flip. I've never had such a flip flop. Like I, I really started wow. this book of like, I was like, Eric writes our reviews, and good God, what did you give this book? What, what did the team <laughs> give this book, rather, Eric? Oh, nine points. All every single this is the first time we've ever had all the reviewers on our team that read it gave the exact same to the decimal score of nine point seven. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah, my 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 original thought was like was like, holy smokes, how did they, everybody else get such amazing stuff out of this book, and I didn't get that out of it like like halfway through the book, and then I don't know what happened. Something happened in the story, and it just clicked. Maybe it was all the romance started to sort of resolve itself and we have these beautiful connections between characters. I'm not sure what it was, but this book, I'm with you, Eric. I think it was by far the, the best young adult book we got out of phase one. And one of the best modern young adult books like we've gotten period. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's also the reason that we have the higher public section on utini.com. It is. Corey it is. was like, I need to I know was... who these characters are. <laughs> I was so frustrated by the first half of the book that I couldn't keep everybody straight that I was like, this is, I can't be the only one struggling with this. Let's write all the guides. So, 
you know. That's its legacy. <laughs> we did that guide <laughs> specifically for you yeah, so you right. could realize right. the characters in Midnight Horizon. Yeah, okay, that's sure. <laughs> All right. So really some pretty high scores. Uh, 9.7, 8.6, 9.0. I will say I'm going to be the lowest score here for me personally. I'll tell you up front, my score for this is a 7.9. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain a couple things about that. Number one, I have worked very hard to stay up to date on all the High Republic material across the different media. That said, I drew the line personally at High Republic Adventures. I've never read a single issue of it. So I had a similar problem mm. to Corey approaching this book because there was a steep learning curve and I didn't feel connected to a lot of these characters. I felt connected to Reef. Because I'd read the YA previously, I felt connected to Ram because I read Race the Crash Point Tower. I knew about him and his Bond Bracks and all that. Um, but I didn't know Zine. I mean, I knew who she was yeah. just from hearing people talk about her and whatnot. I didn't know Lula. I didn't know Cantum Sai. I didn't know these people. And I agree with you, Corey, that, that DJO did a freaking amazing job of catching me up within the story. And by the end of it, I feel like I know everything I need to know about them and I'm ready to take the next step with those characters if we get more from them, which I am sure we will. But that was a big, big uh, learning curve for me. And that took a little bit of the enjoyment away from it because I felt like I was missing out. And that's on me, right, for not reading High Republic Adventures, but I do have to address that point. Yeah, I also felt like there was a little bit of, thank you, Jacob, for for providing me with this term, a little bit of tonal dissonance for me where there's Mm. some really, really goofy moments really goofy moments of ram and it fits it fits with the character of ram but then there's also some really dark moments and really heavy moments and while it's it's crazy that djo can juggle those and it it doesn't necessarily feel like whiplash to me or anything like that but it was a bit jarring at times to kind of deal with those very different tones it felt to me like ram at times was from a young reader's book and we pulled him into a ya or or you know vice versa Mm -hmm. all that said i agree battle of corellia incredibly written uh wreath jumping and landing in the battlefield was like i stood up and cheered the only moment that topped that was yoda returning which could not have been written better so i mean the the end of this book really pulled everything together and i loved it i just still had enough of a struggle along the way that my score reflects that at the 7.9 but still i mean fantastic book totally no all great points and i think that's one of the cool things about this book and and Books that we, we, we've talked a lot about how the books of the higher public, you can really tell the writers are writing what they want to write. Like they've been really clear about that. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of uh, total dissonance or that kind of specificity of writing, like if that stuff doesn't do it for you, that's going to happen now because the writers had that amount of freedom. And yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to talk about things. I love that actually yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful Turn of phrase. I want to know if Jacob invented that. If we saw that somewhere, that's that's really Blaring. clever, dude. For sure, Jacob's out. in school. He, he's he's smart. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna chat a little things. bit as well as we're going through. Uh, Blind Fates did, did something heroically. Uh, says, I mean, not just because you agree with me entirely, but says uh, the book is his favorite High Republic novel so far, and went through it twice before the roundtable. That's oh, a thousand wow. pages of content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, very solid, Stephanie Mack. Given a lot of Wreath Silas love, especially given it a 9.9. And Maggie does say, we know Corey loves a beautiful connection between characters. Yes, we right. do uh, after our higher episode. public draft. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Thanks, y'all. You know, I will, I, I will say that um, 
I read up to, I'm curious, Eric, I know you've read everything because you're the mm-hmm. most on top of things of all of us here. Um, Charles, you've read all the High Republic stuff, but not High Republic Adventures is what you told us uh, so far, right? Wes, I don't think, you, have you read much of the comics at all? I have not. No. I, I read, I read, I stopped reading High Republic Adventures, uh, I think when they, when they revealed Zine, I think. So I knew who mm-hmm. she was, right? So I think I might have mm-hmm. felt like I was at a pretty big advantage of at least knowing who Zine was mm-hmm. as a character and knowing at least her background and that sort of thing. But I didn't really feel connected to her very much from that. And mm-hmm. I definitely I had no idea who Crash was. Was it Crash from the comics as well? Well, fun. You, you should mention that. I just pulled up my <laughs> second volume of the High Republic Adventures that I picked up at my local comic store the other day. Crash was revealed in the High Republic Adventures annual, which they have in the back of this, and her entire crew is in here as well. So Prybolt is in this issue. Shemarm is in this issue. Because I had a little bit of trouble keeping the team um, separate. Those are the only ones. They are in mm-hmm. the High Republic Adventures Annual. So yeah. that is Neat. where we met Crash. It's where we met Prybolt. Mm-hmm. So if you want a visual representation of that, this is out in stores right now. Jared oh, asks, isn't, so, that, isn't that the first issue that Zine was introduced? Yeah, Zine was is it the, the first, first one. It, yep. When did I let's see here? When did Zine get handed off to the Jedi? Because I feel I feel like I saw first some issue. of that. That's all, I read more than just the first issue. I got the first. Yeah, you did. I think you read the first or, volume. Yeah, I think I at least read the first volume. So mm, can't remember that. <laughs> anyway, regardless, I knew Zine was. So maybe I felt like I was a pretty big advantage at least for that. So not everybody. And Wreath, we we know Wreath from um, in the Dringer Into the book. Dark. Into the dark. Into the yep. dark. Yeah, mm-hmm. we knew Wreath from that. Uh, Ram has he been introduced before either? Race the Crash yep. Point Tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Race Crash Point yeah, Tower, and then right, he, and right. then he transferred to the Higher Public Adventures mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah, and became part of the team. Yeah, okay. I thought he was. Yeah, you know, I, I will agree with that too, Charles. That like the it felt kind of it did. There were a couple scenes that felt a little goofy as far as being a young adult book. It felt like a younger reader's book at times. And I will say that I feel like as an author and as a reader. Young adult is particularly challenging because you have to sort of bridge mm-hmm. that gap between like very young but also adult. Like, like it at times it almost has to be more graphic than adult books, but it has to be as goofy as as that young reader age, right? So it's it's very challenging to get the the tone right. I feel like for young adult books, tonal dissonance. I love that word. I want yeah. to remember that because yeah. like I feel like a lot of young adult books probably fall, you know become a little guilty of that of like trying to find that that balance is pretty tough but i feel like i feel like djo kind of figured it out and maybe it's because he created a lot of the characters that we see in this book right yeah i'm i'm excited to talk about i don't want to step on your toes too much here charles but when we get to the specific characters i think they each kind of represent an aspect of of djo himself and also the fact that he like is he is still at this point like a pretty new father and i think i see a lot of that in a lot of the characters that little bit of parental Mm. Uh, love so, yeah. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna say those specifics when we get into the characters because Charles, this is a beautiful outline I'm looking at. Well, and we're and we're gonna jump into it because man, we've been talking a while already. But I do want to say I agree with you, Eric. And we know DJO can write a little bit more serious and dark and scary from Last Shot, <laughs> yeah. but we also know from <laughs> learning more about him, seeing interviews with him, etc. He he's crazy funny and goofy and just jovial and over the top and like you see that that translates to his writing um and and i love that that translates to his writing it's just at times it can be a little bit jarring for me some people that's what they love the most about this book and that's why that's why it's awesome that we have all kinds of people reading these books but let's jump into some character questions here we're going to start with none other than ram black betty john moram all right. Ram, ram. Oh. And uh, here, I'm going to read a few quotes for you and then ask you one prompt. 
you can take the conversation anywhere you want to go, just to remind you before we move on to the next character. So here we go. On pages 18 and 19, Ram says, I don't feel anything. Not right now. Not even when we got into battle. I don't feel fear. I don't feel sadness. I'm not excited when we win. I barely even feel good when we save people. At some point after he'd arrived on Starlight Beacon, somewhere amid all those explosions and rescues and shootouts, a change had happened inside him. It felt like someone else had taken over his body. Someone cold. Later on page 324, Ram says, Balance. It seems so simple and so impossible at the same time, but it was more pragmatic and attainable than trying to wish away anger. He'd felt nothing, then he'd felt everything, and now he had to balance the two. He could do that. And later on page 434, he felt everything. That dullness, the utter terrifying emptiness he'd complained to Wreath about had been seeping off gradually since they'd learned about the starlight attack, and Ram had felt strange surges of emotion rush in to fill the gaps where the emptiness had been. Emotion raged through Ram. Grief, exhilaration, fury. Ram was a Jedi, and the Force was with him. It had protected him this far and had been his ally through danger, devastation, and ruin. The Force was more powerful than all Ram's emotions combined. It was more powerful than death. So we talked a little bit about the tonal dissonance, Ram being one of the goofier, younger characters. What does it tell you, though, that a character as funny and and goofy and lighthearted as Ram was so deeply troubled throughout this novel? That's kids, man. I think that's what it really showed me is that, like, I never understood. You know, a lot of people say, like, oh, this character is like my child. This character is like my precious baby and I feel protective. I never quite got to that level. Like I said in Fallen Star, I never got like the sobbing over characters until that book. This book with Ram specifically, I finally got it. Because I was reading this book and I'm like, this is my child and I will murder anyone who hurts this boy. <laughs> um, if anything happens to Ram, I'll kill everyone in this room and then myself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that, all that one. That's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> I will say, Charles, amazing job literally doing an entire character arc in three quotes. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love this dissonance because I do think that is what – if you respect children, I think that's actually what you realize is that they are silly and have fun. But they are actually processing the most intense emotions all the time, like for the first time. And they're learning on how to deal with that. I think that's what I saw through this book, through Ram's eyes specifically – is that he could joke, but that didn't mean he didn't take these things as seriously. And the fact that he and Wreath, who uh, best friend goals, loved that team, I love that he was like, hey, man, I'm a kid. You're a kid. I don't know what to feel about this. Why am I not excited about winning a fight? That should be fun. Mm -hmm. And at the end, realizing, you know what? Nope. I'm learning what the teachers tell me, which is why Yoda is such a great master, right? Because he listens to children. And he's like, I'm going to let you figure this lesson out on your own, and then you'll eventually get there. And watching Ram kind of ascend there by the end of that last quote was really kind of a proud moment of, like, yeah. watching this kid that I've known be real goofy and, like, his little back friends be like, yeah, man, this is the rest of your life, and it's going to be hard, but you got this. And it was kind of a really yeah. nice, proud papa moment to look at our little boy Ram Jam Ram. That, that first quote that you said were – Ram says, I don't feel anything, not right now. Not even when we get into a battle, I don't feel fear. That, so it, it's almost like he's numb, but he's been through these, these battles, he's been through these experiences, and 
I think adults can relate to that or people can relate to that as adults and as children, as toddlers, because you've seen a toddler on the playground push somebody off a swing or be like a little ornery shit and then be mean to another child <laughs> yeah. and not care. And they don't, they don't know why they're doing it. They just do it. Obviously, obviously it's upbringing, but anyways, um, <laughs> but, um, and then we, when we get into the workforce, especially, um, I mean, I can speak from personal experience, you get numb to like everything that happens, any kind of emotion that happens within your job, because you're like, well, how does that affect me? I mean, I'm just trying to get out of here at five o'clock so I don't have to fight traffic kind of right. stuff. And so, I mean, it, 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 I see it on two different spectrums that he's feeling, but mo- like because it's in the beginning of the book, I feel like that's like he's... He's learning, like you said, Eric, he's learning how to be a Jedi. And this is the first step as not knowing. And it's, and it's okay to not know. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was very interesting putting that putting that in yeah. there because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Just reading that in the very beginning. Yeah. It made me realize that I'm like, oh, my God, DJO is already such a great dad. Because oh, like yeah, this yeah, is the guy that's sure. like yeah. looking at his kid and being like, hey, you're not going to know stuff. And that's okay. Yeah. I'll teach you. You'll learn. I'm like, man, if I had a teacher that would have told me that in elementary school, like that's what a beautiful thing. Yeah, but he also like sort of like <laughs> extrapolates like like learning the sort of adult thinking I, a little bit like of the yeah. of the yeah. young kids in this book. I found myself kind of reflecting and in like my mind would wander a little bit. And I have to rewind occasionally when listening to Ram and Wreath because like like. I don't know. There's something about young Jedi that are just really, really interesting to listen to and 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 to think about the psych- almost the psychology, I guess, of it. Of like, like you know, the older Jedi, like Comac and stuff. It's like yeah, they got it all figured out. They're like Qui Gon, you know, they they got it all figured out, right? But like something about like kids having to run into action, like they are trained and they're as qualified as adults to do this stuff, right? Like like Ram yeah. jumped in that ship and flew the ship and attacked that that whole thing that happened at the end of the book. And like, it's like, man, I, I could have done that as like a 12 year old or something like that. Right. Like, so they have this like level of, yeah. they have this like really intense level of training. It's almost like military training, right. As, as children. Yeah. Right. But also they have to come to terms with this sort of like how to deal with your emotions and how to, how to feel the force. And I loved all those scenes mm-hmm. between wreath and Ram of like wreath explaining him. It's not about, it's not about like, like pushing down the emotions it's about balancing the negative with the positive and that sort of thing that was such a beautiful analogy so like yeah. this this i've never wanted i've never wanted more in my life the the star wars harry potter series than after this book dude like yeah. give me listen we have the jedi we academy get series it a little bit yeah we do <laughs> yeah. we do we have the jedi academy series which is not quite the right name for it in legends but like i want like something along those lines like the jedi temple series or something i don't know yeah. like i want to follow a group of kids across like five books i wanted a long series five books of like what it's like to to grow up in the jedi temple and like like to have their own little adventures with their masters like i want that so bad right now because it is so interesting and fascinating and like i feel like our, our high republic authors have figured out like how to tell the story of kids really, really well and how to talk about the force really, really well. And both of those things have been very, very interesting, like in all the higher public stuff so far. But I really enjoyed Ram and Wreath uh, a, a great deal. And something about their goofy – Ram specifically, his goofy self was just so endearing in a way that like really makes you think because – 
he's goofy in one scene, but also he's able to do really incredible feats of Jedi powers in the next. So, yeah, like flies without. He was, he was learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was learning to be a comedian that whole time. Yeah, oh, he was yeah. working on his jokes. He was working on his jokes. Forgot about that. On his timing, yeah. on all of that. He's so goofy, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's dry humor, Ram. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so you mentioned a lot about how uh, how interesting it was to see some of the younger Jedi kind of take front and center and see how they process some of these emotions. Reef is not quite as young as Ram, right? But he still is on that how end old of the is spectrum. He, you think? Is it name his age anywhere? I think it's like 16, I w- 17. I would yeah, probably would have guessed around 15. So, yeah, six, something like yeah, that. I would have guessed, yeah, I would have guessed. I would have guessed younger than that, 14, 15, really? personally. But I, I, I think it's like high schooler and middle schooler is kind of the okay, vibe I got okay. between. Whereas, Ram. whereas Ram is more like what ten, twelve? Yeah, twelve. 12 yeah. Middle school, Something eighth grade, like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah, he's twelve. So, he's twelve. <laughs> that's what his age is. <laughs> All right, done. Moving so, on. That's canon now. Um, so, <laughs> Reef Silas, I want to talk about him, and here's some yeah, quotes man. for him. Page thirty-five. From now on, I'm putting us first. Reith Silas had said those words over a year before, and he was pretty sure he'd spent most of his time since then trying to figure out what they actually meant. And just a reminder for you, that was a callback to page 421 in Into the Dark by Claudia Gray when Reith says this statement, I was giving the order only as much of me as I wanted to give. It was all about me, not about us. From now on, I'm putting us first. So that was the context of that. On page 37, Reith says, he'd come to understand himself not just as a solitary recluse spinning through a vast galaxy of information, but as a part of something much bigger than himself, an us. On page 477, much, much later in the book, we have a quote, the only way I could get out of my own way and move forward, Reith said, was by realizing that there is no one path forward. That's right, Comac said. But that's not an answer, Reith insisted. That's just a way to feel better about being lost. Yoda shook his head. Impossible it is to be lost when there is no path. Hmm? You're welcome for not doing my Yoda impression. No, I appreciate oh, straight. My prompt is this. After spending the majority of this book putting the Jedi's needs before his own wants, how do you think Reith is going to respond to his master walking away from the Order? especially given the fact that his old master, Jorah Mali, died fighting the war that Comac is walking away from. He'll be fine. Question. He'll be fine. <laughs> no. That's uh, a good question. Can I, can I add one quote to your list here, please, Charles? Please, please. It, it might be a Utini nominee. It's from page 153. Wreath had given up trying not to have crushes, opting instead to neutralize the whole situation by having all the crushes. Um... I just want to give give love to our our, our thirsty boy. Well, then we should well. rewind and, and read the Ram quote about saying a girl. <laughs> yeah, no, this this is real. Girl. To to your to your point though, I I think that there is um, uh, Reed Silas. I would say made sense in this book to me way more than he did in Into the Dark. Honestly, mm. I think that a lot of people fell in love with him in that book, whereas I still wasn't quite as into him at that point. I, I didn't love that book as much anyway, but him and Comac, I think really shown in this book for me, but going forward, I think seeing a kid that is lost now, like you said, both masters in, in two completely different ways for both sides of this conflict. I think he's going to kind of double down on his friends, on people like Ram, on people like, uh, you know, 
Lula and Zine and realizing that, oh, I'm fighting for these people around me. I can't just believe my masters will always be here for me. And now he can't because at the end, he's knighted. Right? Like, yep. he, he is ascending past the need for a master in the eyes of the council, at least in the eyes of Yoda, right? Which is kind of what matters. So I think him moving forward, I'm interested to see when he becomes a master. I think it'll be much later than, say, like Vernestra, who took on um, Imri at like 15. I think he think he's going to go off by himself mm -hmm. and just be a knight mm -hmm. and just kind of do his stuff and realize, who am I not as a Padawan or not as a pupil? Who am I just as Wreath? And I think that's going to be really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed his sort of character progression in regards to, like, we really got to see him sort of come, come to terms with the fact that he's ready. I think for mm -hmm. the for the trials, whereas, like a, a lot of a lot of books that deal with this age group of Jedi seem to talk about a lot about how they don't feel like they're ready, right? And like it's just, yeah. mm -hmm. and like like they're they, they don't know how they're going to be a Jedi. They they have no confidence and all this type of stuff. And then they sort of come to their confidence. I feel like Reith sort of. He sort of already had it, like is when he was introduced in this book. He already had his confidence. He was already there, yeah. And like he, he kind of came to the terms with the fact that he is, that it's time, and that it's maybe past time. I feel like in this book. I mean, I really love the. I already said this. The the scenes between him giving sort of a, like masterly advice almost to, you know, um, Ram was just like fantastic. It was just such. It was such so apparent that he's ready for that that step of of being in charge and. You know, I'll say again, the scene where he is appointed to Jedi like Knight is is utterly incredible. We've not seen that very much, interestingly enough, in all of Star Wars. Yeah. It's not been done that many mm -hmm. times where we get to see the, the the knighting with the lightsaber. Like we don't see that very often, interestingly. You would think you'd see that more often than we do. We really rarely see it. And it was done really, really cool. And the fact that Yoda was present and Komak was there and it was immediately followed by Komak taking this like crazy decision to maybe leave the order and what the mm -hmm. hell's going on with him. Like it was just a really, really utterly incredible scene. Like Yoda had to see that coming, right? So I don't know. Uh, like like Wreath was just a, a very well-rounded teacher kind of character that I, I really enjoyed in this book and his relationship with, with Ram, I think is one of the best, like, uh, like, like friend, best friend sort of relationships we've ever seen. It was, it was really, really good. You know what, you know yeah. what it feels like to me, their relationship. Have y'all seen, uh, the Sandlot? Yeah. yeah. We're in yes. the right age group, right? What's the, uh, <laughs> what's the really good, uh, baseball player's name that ends up know. playing for the Dodgers. Benny. I don't know, but I know who Benny? you're talking about. He, yeah, he's like yeah. Reef, Benny the Jet. Benny the Jet. He's <laughs> Reef to me, and Ram is the new kid that comes in and gets hit in the eyeball with the with that stupid with the hat. Ball. That's the yeah, scene that I remember. And the plastic he, he baseball it, glove. That's exactly that's, right. That's, wow. do, you have a, do you have a fireplace? Uh, yeah. Toss the hat in that fireplace when you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. That's, that's a great That's their vibe, I feel Great one. Just stick your glove in the air. I'll do the rest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Super solid. I love that now. That makes Wreath way cooler. Who, who is Wendy yeah. Peppercorn then in this scenario is my next question. But anyways, <laughs> go ahead, Wes. <laughs> uh, that scene you talked about, Corey, when he when when Wreath is knighted, it was it was so selfless because they gathered the he gathered Yoda and the masters around and everybody and they were and he thought they were there to talk about what's next. What are they going to do? There's yeah. people have died yeah. on Starlight. Like, so what are we? Beautiful. Why are we sitting here? Why are we talking? And they're like, Wreath. He's like, Well, what are we going to do? He's like, Wreath. He's like, uh, Listen, 
you're going to be a Jedi Knight. He's like, yeah, I am going to be a Jedi Knight. So, but yeah, that was that was a really cool scene. I remember exactly where I was. I was in traffic, and I was about mm, 15 minutes away from home, and I, and I remember that scene specifically. And I was like, oh, nice. There was a lot of those parts in this audiobook where I was just like, yeah, yeah like, out seriously. loud. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this book. I mean, this, like, it had that, I love that they... They contrasted it with like dealing with the grief of 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 uh, you know Star, Fallen Star and yeah. everything, right? And yeah, Beacon yeah. because like it felt it felt like you know almost like a like kind of a battlefield commission, right? You promote somebody yeah, to fill yeah. a role in which they have to fill because you know Ooh, that's bad. There's stuff to yeah. do. Well, we got we got shit to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and and because officers have died, exactly you take their spots. Exactly right. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, exactly. So like yeah. it, it it just like his being appointed tonight being set against the backdrop of of starlight beacon and his master leaving the order was such a beautiful emotional roller coaster it really was yeah and it's so cool like seeing the last thing i want to say about wreath is like i love that it's not jor that said he was ready it's not comic that said he was ready it's freaking yoda it is yeah. Yoda uh, looked yeah, in his eyes sure. and was yeah. like, you Can't argue with are that guy, a man. Jedi. <laughs> like, yeah, Yoda, yeah. who is saying, like, you know who's not ready? Luke Skywalker. Nope. <laughs> like, and Yoda's like, no. He's too old. Too old. Yeah. Begin the training. <laughs> like, like, I have seen We every- all think you're ready. Tell us why you don't think you're ready. Yeah. He was like, it's like defending your master's thesis. Could you imagine, like, the best thing you walk in there? And, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it was just so wonderful seeing Yoda, who, again, th- by his choice, Trains all the Padawans. He sees all of them. And in the, in the, I mean, the flashbacks with Yoda and Kanto, I know we're going to talk about later, were so incredible because you see that teaching, how good of a teacher Yoda really is. Um, like, uh, how wondrous the might of a child is. He believes that. He really does. And the fact that he's like, nope, I want Wreath by my side as a knight. Bam. I, I yeah. oh, what a great choice. Like you said, I, can, I, gotta, I can't wait till next week when we get that clip because I, I haven't heard it yet. I read it, so it's gonna make me same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get real emotional. Yeah, I'm gonna pull it. I I, I risk yeah. I risk notifications playing on West's computer earlier to tag <laughs> Awesome. Uh, wasn't a risk. It happened. I yeah. thought I thought <laughs> one really cool thing though about that moment that you're mentioning that knighting ceremony is exactly what you said, Corey. That it was on the on the back of them being so torn up about what happened to Starlight. And the way it was described, if I'm not mistaken, was like kind of all the Jedi were off by themselves. It was like late. They were at crashes. They were crashing at crashes, if you will. And The crash, crash, <laughs> yeah. And they were all kind of experiencing these horrible emotions of understanding what had just happened. And then they all came together to celebrate this, this small victory amidst so much loss. And yeah. uh, finding that silver lining is like such a Jedi sentiment. And so that was just really, really beautiful. It felt very pure. Uh, and I really loved that yeah. moment. And if you doubted Reith's growth as a character from when we first met him, uh, I wanted to pull a bonus quote from page 408 because it's badass. And it says, Reith <laughs> left. Yeah! The wind shrieked in his ears. The raging battle below grew louder, a roar. He called on the force, willing his, his plummet to slow, and landed, teeth clenched with a thud on the permacrete, smack in the middle of the front line of Nile Raiders. His lightsaber extended as a hundred eyes turned to him at once. Wreath took a breath and swung. I mean, Jesus. wow. The coolest Jedi. Like, uh, like I when I say the Battle of Corellia is, is the best bet, like, it's because of this stuff. Like, they are superheroes, and one of them is worth a, a 
thousand of Nile, and we're gonna wreck you. Yeah. <laughs> Just- what was so cool about that too is it was at the moment <laughs> that Comac and uh, Cantum were like getting overrun. And it was like, oh no, this Padawan is just going to like bomb in here and turn the tide. And so yep. that's, that's exact. I mean, how do you not knight him after that? But yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's, we touched on Comac there and his High decision. High enough your body count is to be a Jedi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There it is. <laughs> so, know, the, know the smell of blood you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. How do you go from that to trying to steal a granola bar from R2-D2? <laughs> yeah. Mine! 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 <laughs> Seen the light of life go out of eyes I have. <laughs> so let's, anyway, let's talk minus. about Comac. Yeah. We just talked about him a little bit in sort of a controversial decision uh, at the end yeah. of this novel. Yeah. So page 52, mm-hmm. we have a quote here. Reith was acutely aware of his master's swirling tangle of emotions, the strange heaviness Comac had seemed to carry since, well, since they'd met, really. But whatever it was, it seemed to be getting larger, heavier with each passing day. And on page 64, Comac admits, I'm struggling, my Padawan. A great sadness is welled up, has been welling up in me. It is bigger than any I've known. It seems to cover the whole galaxy. I cannot see clearly through it. I do not know if it is within me or something beyond, something that's coming. Page 306, Comac says, These past months, and especially everything that's happening right now, it's changed me, Cantum. The galaxy is not, it's not the one we grew up in. It's not the one the order we know was built for. I don't know where we go from here, but I know if we don't face the new reality head on, it will devour us whole. We don't have a choice. Now more than ever, flinching means losing everything. Page 474, Orla Jereni was dead. Spoiler alert. He stood, a terrible calm <laughs> settling over him. To begin with. <laughs> as the reality of what had happened sank in. There was no room for panic, no spiking anxiety or fear. It was simply true. So many were gone. And all he could feel was a sorrow so deep it had no name. Still, with that sorrow came resolve. Finally, finally, Comac knew what he had to do. And then 479, we learn what he has to do. He says, this isn't a walkabout or a pause. His face was ashen. I am no longer a Jedi. He traded looks with Master Yoda, then walked shakily out of the room and into the night before breaking into a run toward the dark tree line. And then he was gone. So let's ask the obvious question here. Why did Comac leave the Order and what does he intend to do in that forest that he ran into? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he, I, he gave he gave wreath his his lightsaber, lightsaber right yeah so yeah he did. So that that's one i mean that's before he ran off into the forest He's, yeah. he did the uh you think he did the black chrysanthemum jog as he ran into the forest that's 100 you know it's like <laughs> he was this this scene reminds me of chief bromden from one flew over the cuckoo's nest oh he breaks yeah. through the window and then and, and just, just runs. runs out it reminds Great. me yeah. it reminds me of a scene from four christmases because i love reese witherspoon <laughs> Where one of the love children, I love that movie. One of the children gets <laughs> overwhelmed movie. and starts taking off his clothes, <laughs> jumps out the window, and his boxer shorts come flying back in through the window, and he runs away screaming. And the mom says he takes to streaking when he's angry, and that's <laughs> that's what I imagine Comac did there. His robes so, just were left. All right, oh, we have man. we have a spectrum. Not it. <laughs> Listen, Comac Comac throughout this entire book was like. It's like that 
it's like that that friend you have that has literally no insight to their own mental health and like you know how bad they need therapy and you tell them all the time they need to find them a therapist you even go as far as you give them some referrals to local therapists including mm-hmm. your wife and they still don't listen to you right that's that's who this <laughs> yeah. that is who this character is like it's like, i found comac to be the most frustrating of all the characters in this book of like sure the dude has no insight whatsoever. I mean, he's just like, you know, like I, I'm picturing like like he's talking to Cantum Sai for one one moment, and the next moment you see fire like in his eyeballs, like and it's just yeah. like, dude, calm down, all right? Like it's like, yeah. It's I, just, I feel what, like he didn't he didn't seek help like he should. Yeah, have. not at he all. Didn't ask questions yeah, to not anybody. At all. He yeah. see, he didn't. What I think is cool is having Comac Vitus and Elzar Man exist in the same era is really cool. Because Elzar, like, he touches the dark side in Rising Storm, immediately goes to Stellan and is like, hey, man, Mm -hmm. I'm not cool. Can you help me out? I need my friend. And I think that Cantum kind of tries to reach out in that way. And Comac is just like... Psych? I don't want that. Just like, no, I'm a a master. Yeah. 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 He's like, like, I'm a master. I should be able to deal with this and I can't. That's the wrong number for a therapist. Yeah. But I think <laughs> overall, I think at the this end is serious. of it, this is serious, you memesters. I think the reason why Comac at the end of the book is so distraught is that he has a great conversation with Wreath at the end. And is like, I taught you all I could, and I should have learned so much more from you than I yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. didn't. And I think at the end, Comac does have that little bit of self-awareness to be like, and you know what? And I can't open myself up now. I just can't do it. And that is not being a Jedi. I I have lost so much. I think losing mm-hmm. Orla in that way was like kind of one of his last straws of like, I'm so rage-filled. I don't want to yeah. let go of this rage, but I know that's not being a Jedi, so I'm done. Listen, we, we, we proposed in like some of our first talks mm-hmm. about the High Republic that somebody is turning to the dark side. We proposed that early on, right? And he's not leaving the order like Ahsoka left the order. Like he didn't like he didn't like calmly like you know, fold the necklace or the the head tail necklace back no. into Anakin's arm. Like he like tossed his lightsaber down and says, "I'm done, fools!" And like he's out. Dude, like so, if we gotta fight Comac Vitus, we're all screwed. The dude cut a guy's hand off with a grenade, and he can fly. Like we yeah. are doomed. <laughs> That's it's right, but he can, can fly. But levitate. <laughs> Real talk, though, is this it? Is this the guy that turns to the dark side? Is this what I don't we're think seeing so. right now? I, d- I, don't I didn't so. take it that way. I but think he's just piecing out. Either. I I kind of <laughs> took it as I I wonder what y'all think about this because I'd like to hear your thoughts on his relationship with Orla because we got a lot about sure. that in some of the previous novels. Uh, well, that was into the dark, right? It was all the flashbacks yeah. of them mm, working yes. together as when they were young. I think they were Padawans at the time, mm. and then they got to work together again when they were on the uh, Maxine station and. This book, we got that brief glimpse of them having a pretty meaningful moment that I think Reef interrupted. Like they were both tearful, both talking about the fact that they yeah. felt some incredible sadness, didn't know what it nice was. Going Reith, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But bro. that, but I think we're joking about him not having a therapist. I think Orla kind of was that for him, heard a knocking. or at least agreed. Yeah, <laughs> there was a sock on the doorknob. A of sock the on the door, bro. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I took right. off the rails. Corey's afraid of emotion, so he's making jokes. He's fine. Humor is one of the only mature defense mechanisms. Uh, so, there you go. Anyways, <laughs> what what do y'all think about that relationship? Because I think it's very telling that that what broke him, what made him walk away from the entire order, seemed to me to be Orla Orla's death. What y'all yeah. think about that? 
You know what it sounded like to me? It's like, it's like someone, I mean, literally, I guess it is someone walking away from religion, right? Because you always, you talk to people, it's like, what was your, what made you walk away from a church or whatever it is? Because the Jedi are essentially a religion, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Toki. Yeah. Like, to, there's right? so. <laughs> but there's like. <laughs> underrated comment Wes it's referred to as religion <laughs> multiple was... times throughout the series though for yeah. real yeah, yeah yeah and I think yeah. that when you hear so many times like be tranquil like don't form attachments like celebrate that everyone goes into the forest he's like my friend got killed I'm really angry maybe I'm I I can't do it maybe that was his final straw maybe because he says as Reith said he's been or as he says to Cantum I've been I'm frustrated I can't uh, I can't deal with it I can't deal with it Maybe that was his Jedi final stuff thing is like, whack. Yeah, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> the robes whack. The lightsabers whack. Whack. <laughs> All right, we're we're really getting off the rails. But no, What's I this wee business. I, I <laughs> yeah, it's mostly me. I, I've been away for multiple weeks. I didn't have enough time you. pre-show to get this craziness out like I usually do. That's right. So. I think it's kind of interesting too that Orla was a, a way seeker, right? Which is mm-hmm. like this very unique thing that we've yeah. learned about in the High Republic. Super and we're going to get into this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jump into this right now, but I just want to give you a little appetizer here. It is possible for the Force itself to lead you away from the Jedi. And so I do wonder if Comac, if that's what's happening. Ooh. Okay. So we'll we'll table that just for right now. We will come around to it. But let's talk about someone else who walked away from the Order. Let's talk about Cantum Psy, who is, I think, yes. easily actually my favorite part of this entire the novel. NBMVP. That's not binary most valuable player. Okay. That up. <laughs> very good. I'm going to surprise you. Remember the letters. <laughs> and, I, and I tried very hard. I hope in the plot synopsis we use the proper terminology they and i'm probably mm-hmm. i might slip and say he or something here but we're gonna try to stay on track but cantum Psy, page 226 yoda a lot of quotes from here are gonna be from yoda yoda says there is no should young cantum the right thing to do is very often an idea we invent hmm? to make ourselves feel better mm-hmm. on the very next page yoda says you must choose the force one does not fall into being a Jedi Knight by mistake. Hmm? There's a lot of humming here. You gotta, I gotta say the hmm. You gotta at least gotta try on one of these, Charles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or because it is convenient. You must choose the Force with your whole heart. To do this, you must learn again to listen, to hear the world, the world outside of your own emotions, even when they are very, very loud. A hurricane. On page 228, the next page a strange good scene it's a great scene a strange peace fell over cantum the emotions still surged the nightmares and fantasies but the path ahead was clear or as clear as it could be in that moment the next step which was the only step cantum needed to understand slowly they unsheathed their lightsaber and placed it on the mat in front of master yoda master yoda nodded ever so slightly and then cantum walked away And finally, on page 348, the world seemed so alive, even more than it had moments before. Cantum felt the force quickening around them like a rush of wind. Nothing had made sense, not since Atar had shown up like a sudden storm in Cantum's life. And finally, without warning, that was okay. Nothing needed to make sense. Cantum had allowed the galaxy to be what it was, and now the galaxy seemed to be curving around Cantum, reminding them, allowing them to be what they were. And that, very simply and without complication or doubt, was a Jedi. 
So now let's get into this idea. How do you view the fact that the force actually seemed to lead Cantum away from the Jedi Order? And then how did you view their journey overall? I mean, Cantum, this is this book is why Cantum was on my team last week. I mean, Cantum Psy in Midnight Horizon, I think, is like a top five, top ten Star Wars character. And this unique journey, I think, is super interesting because we've seen people leave we've seen people want to leave but we've never seen them like leave intentionally then come back and i think now knowing that yoda allowed this to happen back then i'm like how frustrated was yoda in the prequel era when they didn't do this anymore like what a beautiful message that hey Hmm. your life's purpose you can walk away for a bit find yourself come on back that's beautiful I never seen anything like it, but I'm, I want to hear what you guys think because I was blown away by this. I mean, the, yeah, it made it. Sorry, go ahead, it made me seem to think that um, <clears throat> in the prequel era and in the original trilogy, well, no, I guess not the really, but the prequel era, that if you left the Jedi Order, that was it. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you can't come back. That's how it and, seems with the. And that's kind of the way they nobody fall for her yeah. at all. So, yeah, right, right, right. So this having this particular example in the High Republic, where you can walk away. And like you said, Eric, find yourself, kind of gather your thoughts, and then learn more from the Force right. that might help you come back to the Jedi Order and make you be a better Jedi. But I thought that was odd that he left, and then when he came back with uh, with Lula, that um, he was knighted a Jedi, like when he came back. Well, I think that was one of the coolest things that, that we're learning in the High Republic is that... The trials are so much less formal than I think we all thought they were for so many years. Like, yeah, your trial. Like the fact when, when I found that that they were helping Lula on the, when the, when the child was like, oh, it's Lula Tai Solo. I'm like, oh god, right? It was a beautiful reveal, which is obvious. And I thought about it, but I'm like, oh, Yoda realized that the trial of becoming a Jedi Knight is basically proving that you're willing to listen to the Force and obey its teachings, go with the flow of the universe, and kind of just embody the elements of a Jedi and everything that Cantum did in that flashback did all that. They just yeah, did that it. could have been the one thing. Yeah. Like, the one thing he was missing. Yeah, yeah like they sure. thought yeah. they weren't a Jedi. But I'm also like, you know what, technically, as far as being a Jedi, Cantum just thought they weren't a Jedi at that point. But they were doing all the things that Jedi do. Helping mm. people, listening to the force, using the force abilities to save people like all of the stuff was still happening. They just mm-hmm. needed to let go of the pressure of the title and the dogma for a second. And I thought that was yeah. a cool way that Yoda was like that cool English teacher that was like, yeah, man, it's cool. How do you need to learn about things? Like he had his feet up on the desk, <laughs> you know, like it's like we're not going to be inside the classroom today. We're going outside. That's Yoda. <laughs> that is Yoda. 100% that's Yoda. <laughs> and then they go up to the roof of the temple with no railings and Orla Jerani falls off. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that happened. That's actually Yoda. It did happen. It actually did. It's a thing. But I think what a cool thing to see Yoda and Canton both do this as teachers and as Padawans. Like that that dueling mm-hmm. sequence, I thought was some was one of the best scenes I I'd read in in yeah. like in a mm-hmm. year. That was very of good. like the conversations that you have as you're fighting, and then realizing that the people that know this and go through these then go back to wanting to work with kids. Like Canton Sai is pretty heavily featured in High Republic Adventures because they want to work. With Padawans. Yoda wants to work with Padawans. Like, I think Star Wars is very intentionally telling us that the more enlightened you are, 
the more you want to be around children who are just discovering and how beautiful yeah. that is. And I thought Canton was the gateway to that. And while being a badass, too. In that battle, come on. Yeah. Kendam Sai was kicking all the ass. Oh, it was yeah. incredible. <laughs> I, I also want to commend DJO, too, for possibly giving us the most beautiful version of representation in Star Wars that I think we've ever had. Like, yeah. real talk. I think we have to Easily. say that. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact that Cantum is Yoda, the by-the-book, best Jedi that's ever lived, according to our knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's his Padawan, and Yoda, argue. Is, Yoda mm-hmm. is is totally cool with all of this. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen representation better in Star Wars. And I'm like, yeah. like I saw a, <clears throat> like, this is s- somewhat related. I saw a TikTok this week of uh, of this, of this, this this black lady with her son they were getting on an airplane and the pilot was black and he like invited this like four-year-old or whatever to come sit in the pilot seat and hold the steering wheel or whatever and like the caption or something was like like this is why representation was important or something about that and i literally thought i thought about cantum when i saw that tiktok and i was like dude this is the best representation we've ever seen in star wars and like somebody read this and felt like that was them in star wars and this is why it's so important that we continue to push this type of stuff forward and like i really really enjoyed the story entirely around cantum he's an amazing character and like the fact that djo you know with his with a with kids of his own and his and a wife and all that stuff was able to portray this so beautifully was is just like the the dude deserves serious like commentation for that because like he really really nailed it. Cantum was an amazing character in this book. Yeah, to be to be like mm-hmm. especially at a time when a lot of like nine non-binary youth especially are dealing with a lot of hard questions, a lot of hard for stuff. Sure. To see a for character sure. where that's and that's not a plot device. Like Cantum, no, Cantum's it wasn't non-binary at all. identity is not an issue. Like you said, yeah. Yoda's just like, yep, that's who you are. It doesn't matter. Is such is is kind of the the end goal of representation is just to have them in the story and they're powerful yeah. and they're great. And and next week I get, I can see in the in the outline. So we're finishing with Cantum this week. Next week we're going to talk about kind of the love story in that, which is again the main love story in this book is a, is a queer love story, and it's yeah. not. That's not a problem. Like none of that is right. in this book, and I right. think you're I just, really right, Corey. That it's, I bring, it I, I to bring be that. Yeah, for sure. I, I bring that up because, like, I remember just not that long ago. It feels like we were yelling because the first we weren't yelling. People were yelling that like the first gay characters ever been introduced in Star Wars with the aftermath books, and like mm-hmm. the fact that we've come so far, like just on a on a social level, is is very beautiful and very impressive, and like. The fact that it felt so seamless and it's Yoda and like I, mm-hmm. it was just very very well done. And I feel like I feel like this book sort of signifies that we sort of crossed a, a barrier. I think in regards to yeah. representation in Star Wars and like that mm-hmm. really moves me personally. And the fact that we we can like tell a story like this and it's, it is no big deal and is it a very enjoyable, wonderful part of the story like really makes me happy. And I'm I'm so glad that we're at this point that it can be just a regular part of the story. And uh, you know. Good on you, DJO. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and it makes a difference that it's a main character, too. Yeah. Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. Main character. For sure. It's not yeah. in the background. And they have a romance. Like, they get a, they get a sexy romance with a circus performer. They do. Which, like, hell they do. yeah. <laughs> why not? <laughs> like a flexible circus performer. <laughs> Reach out flexibility. Why do you have to emphasize oh, flexible? 
Corey, Sorry, are you I sure mean, Canton wasn't on your team last week? Oh, my face is getting hot again. Here we go. Yeah, that that freaking scene where he, where he talked about well, he almost fell off and because he, he used the force to like knock him off or whatever. I was like, holy mm-hmm. smokes, what is happening right now? This is some like, weird chemistry that we're seeing. It was yeah. it was gorgeous, and I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm again, I know with Phase Two, we're going back, and obviously Canton, I, I believe it's just a human Jedi, so we're not going to see Canton. But like, I hope that in Phase Three we get more of 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 Cantum specifically in Elias characters because we've yeah. seen them grow so much. We've seen them be so main character impactful. And frankly, there's going to be less characters now because of what happened in Wave 3. True. So it'll be <laughs> cool to dark. see where they go. <laughs> That's dark, bro. I, I don't know. know. There's a smaller cast. It's factual. I think uh, <laughs> two things I want to tack on about this is I do believe DJL was the first person, at least was the first Star Wars author that I encountered that, Featured a non-binary character in Last Shot. In Last Shot? Yeah, there was like a That's pilot. True. It was yeah. a relatively minor character at the time. There was a pilot. Uh, Taka Jamarisa? Okay. Is that right? Holy you. Smokes. I have no idea. On top of your head. Come on, Eric. How I've, did you I, get... I've forgotten a lot of important <laughs> things in my life. But not but, uh... God. <laughs> so I believe that you. is a hell of a pull. And, <laughs> I read this book. And so this character used they, yeah, them. Taka, yeah, Taka Jamarisa. Right? Yeah! Read so Last this Shot. character used they, them. And, and so... This is not, as you were saying, this is not like a device or something. This isn't even like, it's, it's, this is just who DJO is, you know? And it's, yeah. and it's, it's nice to it's see that dude, continue man. to be reflected in, <laughs> further really in his work. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to point out was I wanted to point out a specific part of this quote that I, I just read to y'all a few minutes ago that I think is a great way to end the show and specifically speaks towards what I think we've been talking about. And it says, uh, finally, without warning, that was okay. Nothing needed to make sense. Cantum had allowed the galaxy to be what it was, and now the galaxy seemed to be curving around Cantum, reminding them, allowing them to be what they were. I think it's very telling that the force itself is allowing Cantum to be what they are. Right? It's not. It's not a yeah. question. It's literally yeah. the thing yeah. that that you know connects us all is saying like. You are who who you are, and that's absolutely fine. And yeah, it's yeah. just a beautiful sure. bit there that I think probably quite a few people out there, quite a few Star Wars fans needed to hear. So thank you, yeah. GJO, for that. Um, on that note, we've been talking for a long time. We're going to cut things here. We're going to talk about Zine and Lula next week, like you alluded to, Eric. We're going to jump into overarching questions. We have Easter eggs, like always, but we're going to push all that to next week. So for now... I'll kick it back to you. All right. That's part one of our Midnight Horizon Roundtable. Can I wait for next week? Uh, again, did I have more of this book? Thanks to all of you for hung out to, that were hanging out with us tonight and that were listening to us. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you have thoughts about Midnight Horizon, again, let us know. Jump into our Discord. Go in the YouTube comments. Like, we love talking about these books. We got a whole channel dedicated to this book. So go ahead and chat with it. Even though it's been out for a month, who cares? But on that note, my friends, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much. You are the reason why we were able to create all this content, and we super, super appreciate it. A special thank you goes out to OK Endar, Brian Dooley, Earl Q, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Matt Billington, Elizabeth Cloutier, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at Doc Star Wars MD. Charles is at C. Hankel. And Wes is at Boss Wes. 
A special thank you goes out to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, Wes, our producer and community manager, and Jacob, who's editing that short form content for you. Special thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for tuning in, listening, and watching. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.